I'm going to talk to you about uh, what I call the amazing preservation of the words of God. Uh, one of the things we have to remember <clears throat> about the Bible, let me ask you, you know how this, there's a couple of things, numerous, numerous, how this book is different than every other book on the planet. Uh, number one, I say it this way. This is the only book on the planet that does not come from the planet. Right? Okay, you think about that. Maybe if I put it on the internet uh, and you can, you can text it, you'll understand it. But um, uh, really, uh, every, every book on the planet, you know, I have a publishing company. We publish my books and 25 other authors. And, and there is not a word on my books or on, that, that we publish or print uh, that are inspired other than when I quote the Bible. All right? Uh, and so every book on the planet <clears throat> is generated from within a dying system. Our solar system is a dying system. Okay? Now, I'm not into global warming. I can't, I'd like a little global warming right now, but um, uh, I'm not into global warming, but it's a dying system. Uh, did you ever put a small piece of wood on a fire and as it burned, watch it get bigger? Some of you just nodded. <laughs> Let me try that again. Did you ever put a small piece of wood on a fire and watch it get bigger as it burned? No. But you put a big one on, watch it burn down. Because as it burns, it loses matter. It loses, it loses substance. Our sun is nothing but a ball of grass. Must be the original Democrat. And um, uh, it's, it is just a ball of gas. And believe it or not, every year it is one inch smaller. It's not a joke. It's one inch smaller in diameter because that's how much mass burns off in the year. And uh, I told somebody that one time. And they said, how did you know? And this is true. I said, NASA sent a satellite up and landed on the sun and measured it. That guy says, well, didn't it burn up? I said, landed at night, you idiot. I mean, some of these people do not think, okay? They don't ever think. But um, everything here, guys, I don't care who your favorite writer is. I don't care who your favorite writer is. They are not inspired, and every book on this planet is generated from within a dying system except this one. If you want to know what a dying system is, <clears throat> go buy a locking gas cap for your car Fill it till the gas is running on the ground, put the locking gas cap on, and then throw the key away. And your fuel tank just became a closed system. Now, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You may coast a lot and shut off the lights and drive slow. I think some folks have done that. And um, uh, you, may, you may get the best mileage you ever got, but at some point, you've got to run out of gas. Why? Closed system. Do you know what you do every time you take the, the, the gas cap off of your tank and put in uh, some, more, some more gas? Somewhere you make an Arab smile. That's what you do. But um, uh, every time you do that, what you're doing is you're putting, you are putting something in from, from outside the system. Do you understand? When you open up this book and begin to read it, I don't care if you're reading my stuff. I don't care whose books you're reading. You're reading something from within a closed system. It can be wisdom. They can have, they can have some wisdom. They can impress you with their, their intellect, their, uh, their, their academic standards, whatever. <clears throat> but it is still generated from within a dying system. Only when you open this book are you putting something in from outside the system. Which, to me, <laughs> my, my next obvious question is, why wouldn't you want to read that book? All right? Now... Uh, I don't have to convince you of this, but i got to set up, set up some ground rules uh, because some of these folks, some of our brethren, uh, don't seem to understand this. All right? Is the Bible a spiritual book? Yeah, it is. It is. 
Um, we know that uh, the devil counterfeits everything that God does. There's a phony God. There's a phony uh, church. Uh, there's a phony Christ. Is that not true? And he's got enough conviction that he's not going to mess with the Bible. <laughs> well, I would never, I would never uh, counterfeit the Bible. The devil's not going to mess with the Bible. Wasn't the first question he ever asked, putting question on the word and words of God? So this is why we need to remember this about, about this book. You can, you can take Shakespeare or Socrates or Plato or anyone else, Aristotle, and if you want to scientifically, scientifically say, gee, I've got, I've got uh, the same quote by Aristotle, but it's a little bit different each way, and you want to try to go back to the originals and find out you know, which one of those three Aristotle usually, uh, actually said, use the scientific method. This book is not left to a scientific method. Is it not, is it not obvious that the devil is going to mess with our, with our communication from God? So, so you have to remember, let me ask you, because I'm not trying to lead you, but let me ask you something. Then would it be, wouldn't it be like good sense to realize that the devil's probably going to do something to mess with the transmission of this book across the centuries? Yeah. And would it mean that God would have to use something above nature? You know, if you, uh, I don't know if you know this, um, but your soul has weight. Looks like some of your souls have a little more weight than some, some, some of the other people's souls. But anyway, uh, really, it's clear back in the 60s and 70s, they, what they did is they had some people who were dying, okay? I think they'd taken the vaccine. Uh, and, um, but really, they were dying. They knew they were dying, and they submitted to do a, a scientific test, and they had them like on an atomic scale. They knew, how much they, they knew how much they weighed. They could weigh the breath in their lungs. That's how sensitive the scale was. They knew when they were like that, knew when they breathed out. And they said, they said, and this was a scientific fact, everybody that died lost 21 grams of weight. It wasn't their last <gasps> breath, because they knew it. They'd, <coughs> excuse me, had to go to filter tips. Um, they knew what they weighed without, with air, without air. They were, they, they literally, their soul had weight. Now, I know we think this, well, you know, if you die without Christ, God's going to take you to hell. God doesn't have to. It's natural. You are a soul that is inside a body. And do you understand that being in this body, the soles of your feet is the only thing that keeps you from going through this floor to the center of the earth? So when a lost person dies, the soul is free of the body. Nobody has to take it to hell. If it only weighs 21 grams, where is it going to go? It's not going to float away. Isn't that true? You can blow a balloon up, not with helium, with just your, your own air. And when you let go of it, it's gone down. So here's what you need. You know why you're not worried about your soul stepping out of your body when you die? Because you need something that is stronger than nature, kind of like super nature, supernatural, something that is stronger than a natural force of gravity that would take you to hell. And so nobody's taking anybody to hell. They're gone there. That's natural. Nobody needs to work at that. But when we die, the Lord takes us contrary to what gravity wants to do to us, takes us to heaven. All right, every book on this planet is secular except this one. And so it is natural that, that, that uh, when, you, when you write something, it may deteriorate. I'm not talking about the, the, the paper that it's written on. It may deteriorate uh, over, the, over time. Did you guys ever play this game? I don't know what they called it. Uh, telegraph game, um, gossip game, 
whatever it was, you're in school, and, and the teacher whispered something in the ear of the first student. And it's like, uh, you know, the, the first one is, uh, I want a pepperoni pizza. And by the time it got to the back, back guy, it says, I'm going to kill you right now, you know. And, and I did not realize when they, when they did that, I don't even know if that was what my teacher was uh, aiming at, but what they were aiming at is you can't trust the transmission of the Bible across time. That's what they're aiming at. No, no, no. You can't trust the, the, the transmission of any other book across time. But if this one is spiritual, uh, all right, would the devil have an active part in trying to, present, to prevent its transmission? then wouldn't God have an active part in taking care of its transmission? Yeah. And so, guys, now you know, we have transmission trouble. All right? And uh, what we're going to look at uh, this morning is what I call the amazing preservation of the words of God. And one of the things I, you know, when I I talk about about the Bible, uh, I say it, I call it the word and the words of God. Okay, you say, why? Because I think this book is the word of God, and I think that what's in it are the words of God. And he said he would preserve his what? We talked about it last night. He's going to preserve his what? He's going to preserve his words. And if you say, well, that's impossible, you're absolutely right about every other book on the planet, because it has no spiritual help. Do you understand? Guys, um, you know, I'm I'm doing a book, uh, doing a couple, but I'm doing this one book, and every time I come, come up with some research... I am finding a general quote by the same guy, but it's worded two or three different ways. I mean, it says the same thing, but I, okay, so you tell me, which quote do I put down? I, I got him saying the right thing, but how do I know if the first copy I found was, the, was the, what he actually said, and the second one is halfway across the room, and the third one is all the way at the end of the room? It's impossible, but it's not impossible with this book, because... Where, where every other book was kind of written and put on a raft and set adrift, and we've got stuff that's been written hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, right? And it's just out there with the waves to beat on it, and, you know, some of the words can blow away, and some of them get faded by the, by the sea salt. When God, God got done with this one, you know what he did? He followed it all the way across history. He's followed it, all right? <clears throat> and so... so God is going to be an active agent in preserving it. The devil is going to be an active agent in trying to destroy it. Would you not agree with that? What I just said, you can't apply to another book on a planet. You cannot apply that to any other planet because God did not inspire another book. You know, I laugh at myself. Uh, The first book I wrote was the uh, Understandable History. It was actually my master's thesis back in uh, 1979. And when it came out, uh, it was about this thick. And about that big, uh, and uh, Brother Craig's brother uh, Mike, who was a good friend of mine, he printed he printed the first thousand, uh, along with some twenties that he was doing. But um, and it's now in the fourth edition. And you know why it's in the fourth edition? Because I said, uh, oh, you know what? I, I should have I should have said something about this. And so I added another chapter or two for the second edition, and then I added another chapter for the third. And then I, some, some stuff happened uh, that was actually was not current when I wrote it. Uh, and so I said, oh, i got to add that information. You know what I like about God? When he finished this book, I, he has never said, oh, you know, I, I should have told him. 
He's never had to have us. There's no Bible volume two, no matter what Joseph Smith wrote. There is no Bible volume two. There is no, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you get the 66 uh, uh, canon, book canon. No, 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 God added uh, three more books. Uh, you know, he just, he thought of some things he forgot to tell us, and so he added them in the second edition. There's no second edition. Guys, that's the word, and the words are gone. And before you say, and I, you know, I'm always telling people, read it, read it, read it. And I get, I hate when men whine. When a man whines, I just want to rip his skirt off, all right? And, and I've had men go, oh, it's such a big bump. And, I, and really, you know what my answer is? Well, aren't you glad God didn't write an encyclopedia? Have you ever seen an encyclopedia? Could you imagine having, if you had 30 volumes to your Bible, you know what your pastor would have to do? When he got done on Sunday morning or Sunday night, he'd say, uh, now folks, next week bring volume 17 and 23 because that's what I'll be preaching out of. You, you would have like three people per pew if they brought their whole Bible and they have those little wheeled carts. And then you know what would happen. A Ruckmanite would get it interleafed. <laughs> Did you hear what happened to Bill? No, his Bible fell on him and broke his leg. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that God gave me a book that I can, ha- I can hold every word he wants me to have up in one hand. I cannot hold an encyclopedia set in one hand, but I can hold every word God wants me to have. What you ought to do, listen, if you've ever, got, if you've ever seen volumes, guys, guys, I, uh, I, I want to get the last, but I, I, because of what I do, um, I read some technical stuff, stuff about Greek manuscripts and, uh, and um, you know, uh, people that worked in the transmission of the text and guys that uh, brought out new versions or, or brought out, translated the Bible into English. And uh, I like the Brits. I really do. But they are boring. I mean, a, a Brit, a British person, they can, they can bore you reporting on a house fire. Oh, excuse me, John. <laughs> See, man, I got to change my illustration. Well, anyway, I'm, I say it's on file. I mean, it's a Brit. Give the microphone to an American, and we will make a movie. Oh, the flames are leaping into the air. Women are fainting. Babies are crying. Right? Do you know what's more boring than a British author? There is something more boring than a British author. A century-old British author. Writing in the 19th century about Greek manuscripts. I can see you guys just wringing your hands, wondering if you can get a volume of that and read it. I mean, it's so bad, I want to get my mother-in-law to read it. That's how bad it was. But, um, and I know, I can remember on three occasions, I've had to read a thousand pages, two volumes, uh, uh, written by Brits in the 1870s, 1860s. And I'm telling you, it's a good thing they were dead, because I would have hunted them down and killed them. And had I killed them, no one would have noticed any difference. Okay? Um, guys, you look at all that, that, that stuff, and it's, it's such thick reading. And God gave us one that you can understand. He really did. You know, they keep saying every, every, all these new versions, they can bring it out, easier to read, easier to read, easier to read. And when they run them through those tests, this one always comes out easier. This is easier to read than the new King James Version. Okay? Now, don't, don't take that for what I said. I only, look, I only have to show you one place, and I'm going to show you one place. This isn't in my lesson, but uh, go to Titus chapter 1. 
Uh, I was telling somebody before the service, I read the New King James Bible uh, version, version four times, cover to cover. Um, I was being punished. Um, and, and I read it uh, because, because they had the same list that you have when you go check a new version. And the guys that did the translation of the New King James, it's like they had our checklist and they said, don't mess with that verse. And don't mess with that one. A lot of times you go with New King James and go, we'll look right there. Oh, it's not, we'll look right What's well, not changed? So I said, I got to read the whole thing. So I read it four times. Um, let's look at verse six. If any be blameless, so about the, the, talking about pastors. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now, does anybody need riot or unruly defined for you this morning? You remember Washington, D.C. with BLM uh, in January when, when Trump got elected or, uh, or, or uh, when they burned down Portland or they burned down uh, Seattle or they burned down Kenosha? I mean, we, do we know what riot and unruly is? Well, apparently you don't. Because the guys that translate the New King James realizes you bunch of rubes don't understand what that verse actually says. So here's what it says in the New King James. Uh, if any, if any is blameless, a husband of one wife, having having faithful children, not accused of insubordination and dissipation. Insubordination. I guess now we're not going to spank them. We're going to court martial them. And I don't even know what dissipation is. But every time I say it, I just want to take Pepto Bismol. There's just something about that word. I feel like I should just grab a slug of it. Okay. But based on that one verse. You can, I, and guys, I wrote a book, uh, I don't, we don't have it here, it's a big book, very boring book, um, on uh, verses composed of single-syllable words. And there are 900, I found in, in uh, a three-year study, 916 uh, verses composed of nothing but single-syllable words. Well, isn't there anything easier, is there anything easier to speak than a single-syllable word? I remember talking to my kids in single-syllable words. Go clean your room. And then I would make them, I'd make them repeat it. What did I tell you to do? Go clear. I mean, they were teenagers. And then if they didn't, I would speak to them in single-syllable word. I'll kill you. So if, if a single-syllable word is easier to understand, that is easiest word to speak, what did the modern versions do with those 916 verses that are composed of nothing but single-syllable words. So I checked it in eight modern versions, and the New King James changed. They, in, they took a, 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 multi, a, a, a single-syllable word and added a multiple-syllable word, a multi-syllable word, 126 times. I proved statistically that a New King James is 14% harder to read than a book in your lab. That's if you got a King James. New Living? I thought the New Living translation would be close. 486 times. It is uh, 53% more difficult to read than your King James Bible. So if you say, well, the Bible's too hard to read. Oh, shut up and read it. Really, I mean, just, I'm sorry. Uh, you, know, you know how to cook a steak? Let me how you tell you how you cook a steak. You get the coals real hot. You only, you only turn a steak once. You, you, you season it, you put it on, turn it over, and you're done. Okay, unless you want it medium rare, or if you want it uh, well cooked. Um. And then, once you take it off the grill, you cut it off the bone, you cut off the fat, you cut off the tendons, you cut it into little pieces like this, you throw it in your blender, and put it on puree. <laughs> then you pour it in a cup, 
and suck it up through a straw. And none of you look like you want to come to my house by bite you over for steak. I didn't want my steak like that. That's how you want your Bible. I, I don't like the season is out. Well, I read something I didn't understand. Well, somebody a little smarter than you wrote it, right? So what am I, we're going to talk about this morning, and I'm going to have to put some stuff on the board as meticulously as I can, but we're going to talk about, uh, let me ask you this. Did you ever read the inspired words of Elijah? Have you ever seen the oldest sermon notes in history? That's what we're going to look at today, okay? Um, From Adam uh, to Seth is 130 years. From Seth to Enos is 105 years. From Enos to Canaan is 90 years. Did you ever think about Bible days, Genesis, people lived to be 900 years old? Did you ever think what the conversations were like? I can see somebody eight years old, 800 years old going, oh man, to be 600 again. <laughs> oh yeah, I knew it was over when I hit 550. I mean, from 550, I've just ached everywhere ever since then. You know, and oh, the kids are getting so big. How old is he now? 320? That's wonderful. From Canaan... Okay, just remember not to give this name to your child, okay? Uh, from him to Jared, not a jeweler, uh, 65 years. From Jared... To Enoch, now this is when they're born, 162 years. <laughs> yeah, we didn't start our family until we were 250. We waited a while. And from Enoch to Methuselah, who was, I am pretty sure, my English teacher in the eighth grade, uh, 65 years. Okay, now... From Adam, from Adam to the birth of Enoch was 622 years. From Adam to the death of Methuselah, which was just before the flood, was 687 years. Actually, those numbers aren't important. <laughs> but I'm getting a job with the government, and I'm trying to get used to this. But from the time that, that Methuselah was born, Enoch lived, uh, let me see it, another 300 years. All right. Now, Enoch was, the Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness, correct? Hey, guys, I, I don't I want to go too far on this, but do you, ever, do you know what the world calls the oldest profession? Prostitution. You know why? Because the oldest profession is a preacher. And they really don't like it. 
But we got it. So we don't know, you know, when Enoch preached the sermon that we're going to look at. But uh, there was 300 years, and then he was taken uh, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 23. Now, here's what you need to remember. From Methuselah to Christ is 3,317 years. That's a pretty long time, would you say? Yeah, that's a pretty long time. That's, that's more time than we've had since uh, Christ to our time now. Uh, from the birth of Jesus Christ... To the writing of Jude in your Bible is 66 years. So this comes out to be 300, uh, 3,383 years. Okay? In other words, when Jude is writing, that is at least 3,383 years since Methuselah was born. And we're, just, we're, we're figuring this sermon was preached after Methuselah was born. Uh, if not, it was preached even farther. But go to the book of Jude. Go to the book of Jude. Don't sing the song, just read the book. Look at verse uh, 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, quote, Now, here's what you're about to do. You know what you're about to do? You're about to read something that Enoch said when he was preaching. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, quote, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to, and to convince all uh, that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Those, those words are an excerpt from the oldest sermon in history, recorded. That's what he was preaching. A couple of things for you to think about. Number one, that's the, that is the oldest inspired writing that we have, and it is still prophetic. That is still talking about something that is in the future, right? That's an amazing thing. There's a second thing. Now, you know, when I, uh, and don't come and tell me, because I know. Uh, typos in my books. Uh, I have my books proofread three times, and I, this happens so many times that it's got to be of the devil. I've done this, I'll bet you, ten times. I get a brand new book from the printer, been proofread three times. I pick the first copy up, open it, and look right at a typo. And I've had people line up, did you know that you misspelled gep? Well, I have trouble with the tough words. Um, um, I, I run my I run my my, uh, uh, my books through a spell checker. You know why? Because I can't spell anything right. But I spell everything right. But I can't spell anything right. But I spell everything right. What I mean is that when I try to spell anything, I always spell it like this. Don't ask me why. I always spell it. I always spell it like that. I can't spell anything Right. But I never have trouble spelling everything. I, I, never, I, never, uh, I never transpose the TH. I can't. So I run my books through a spell checker. 
Uh, I spell, I, I do this. A lot of times I want to say this. And inspe- instead spell this. And my spell checker misses it every time because it's another word. It's a valid word. So I have a proofread. And then I have a proofread. Then I have a proofread. And I still find mistakes. But I never run my, I never run my, my uh, books through a grammar program. And if some of you read them, you understand that's true. You say, why? Well, because I, you know what it says? Uh, it, it, it'll catch words that are redundant, redundant usage. You know what that is? Well, you know, I'm really glad to be here. We really had a nice flight here. It's really a nice place. It's really warm outside. And, and uh, you folks are really nice. If I wrote that sentence and ran through a grammar program, you know what it'd say? You use the word really too many times. So, so change a couple times. Look at verse 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are <clears throat> ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Guys, four times in the same verse, ungodly is used. I don't believe that would go through a grammar program. And my grammar program is not inspired of God, but this book is. So you say, well, why do you think God does that? Well, maybe, you know, if you can't take a hint. He says it over and over and over again. But guys, you just saw a, a portion of the oldest, oldest inspired writing, and it's been delivered at least. It may be more, but it's been, because if, if, uh, if, um, if Enoch preached this before Methuselah was born, it could easily be 3,400 years old at that time. And out of that whole, that whole sermon, God got two verses that were inspired. Now I have a question because I know what you believe about uh, inspiration. I teach, I, I teach my students the six theories of inspiration. Uh, they're at the Bible Institute, and I just want to let you know I don't sign on to any of them. Well, what about the verbal plenary? Oh, I know that sounds good. But don't we say this kind of our inspiration, a, a general description is God tells a man what to write, he writes, and what he's done with is inspired. Didn't he tell in uh, Jeremiah chapter 36, Jeremiah, write this down. And Jeremiah never wrote a word. What came out was the text of Jeremiah chapters 45 through 51. But he never wrote a word. He said, hey, Baruch, come here. Write this down. (laughs) And he wrote it down. His secretary wrote it down. So this Bible is going to defy whatever... Uh, whatever uh, definition you have. In fact, I can't remember off the top of my head, because as you can see, there's not a lot on top of my head. The very best definition that I ever heard of inspiration, and I put it, I put it in a little book called uh, Is Our English Bible Inspired, was by a guy by the name of um, Richard Sowell. You ever know him? Rick Sowell, your former pastor, uh, gave a definition of inspiration that I thought that that is the best thing I have ever heard. Best definition. So I put it in that book because there's just no better definition. But what I'm saying is that if you if you come up with some definition for inspiration, this book is going to violate it. And you know why I think that is? Because we're humans and we're even worse than humans. We're Americans. You know what Americans want to do? How's this? Lose weight while you eat anything you want. Learn a foreign language while you're asleep. 
Make $10,000 and never leave your living room. Just don't get caught by the treasury department. You know what we like? We like one-sentence truths. We like one-sentence descriptions. Isn't that true? Let me tell you something, bud. How do you, who do you think you are? You're a walking, talking dirt ball, and you're going to define the mind of an infinite God with one sentence? It is not happening. And I'm going to prove why our stand... Now, look, I sign on to verbal plenary. I sign on to that. But when I do it, I still know this book doesn't follow it. Like, how about Elijah? You ever read what he, what he wrote? What, what he said it, that was inspired? Take a look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And look at verse 12. And there came a writing to him from Elijah, the prophet, saying... Thus saith the Lord God of David, thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, <coughs> and hath made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself, Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people uh, and thy children and thy wives uh, and all thy goods. And thou shalt uh, have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Uh, Actually, in the original, right there after uh, thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day, there's a little princess unless you get the vaccine. But um, guys, do you know what you just read? You just read inspired words written by Elijah. Did you not? There's no book of Elijah. But isn't that amazing? You reckon that's the only thing he wrote when he was a prophet? It doesn't say anything else, but you know, they they didn't have email and they didn't have texting and they didn't have anything else, so I am sure they wrote things. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Paul probably wrote a bunch of letters. Just a bunch of them weren't inspired. We know he wrote an epistle to a church in Laodicea. That wasn't inspired. Because nobody knows where it's at, right? So, isn't it amazing? Now, now think about this. This is this is like what? What do you? How how much paper do you think that took? You think it was even a page this big? But if it was, what do you do when you get a note from somebody? You don't frame it. You don't bronze it. You don't hang it on. You would say, you know, I think this is inspired. I'm going to hang it on my wall. So I don't know what happened to the original of that. Probably uh, when, um, let's see, who was this? And when this king got done reading it, he probably said, he handed it to somebody and said, keep this because one of these days it's going to be in the Bible. (laughs) But there it is. And so God can inspire and can preserve anything he wants. Well, yes, but you know, the Bible says that holy men of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's exactly right. What about some not-so-holy men? Take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And here is David, and he is talking to Saul. And look what he says in verse 13. As saith the proverb of the ancients. Do you understand that the proverb of the ancients is not a book of the Bible? 
look in your table of contents. There's no Proverbs of the ancients. You have the Proverbs of Solomon, and you know this isn't it, because what's, what's said next isn't found anywhere in Proverbs. Thus saith the proverb of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. But wickedness proceedeth from the wicked. That is, that is the portion. Now, does anybody, it says a proverb of the ancients. Do you think that's the only thing the ancients wrote? I don't think so. Uh, maybe there was a book, uh, you know, people had proverbs of the ancients. People, people buy books by Will Rogers, you know, he, was, uh, he had a bit of wisdom to him. Or, uh, you know, and you, you get pithy quotes from other people that you've heard across time. You think the Proverbs of the Ancients, I mean, it wasn't a sticky note. It had to be more to it than that. Now, you say, well, okay, okay. So they got this volume that was around before David, because he knew about it. There's a volume called the Proverbs of the Ancients, and it is filled with, with some, probably some good advice. Guys, I believe this. I have not read it. But I believe if you read the Book of Mormon, you would probably find some wise, some wise sayings. Not inspired. But you might find something, some wisdom. Uh, you might find uh, Aristotle. You might find Socrates or Plato. You might find a sentence as that's pretty good. But that doesn't make it inspired. But here's an entire volume written by the Proverbs of the Ancients. And one line in it was inspired. Now let me ask you a question. When was it inspired? Was it, was it inspired when whoever the guy was that penned those words in the original... When he wrote it, I mean, he's writing a whole page, and there's a sentence in there, wickedness proceeded from the wicked. And was it inspired at that time? Or was it inspired when God had David quote it? But he may have quoted many other things that were not necessarily inspired. Or was it inspired when, when Samuel put it in the canon? You know what the answer is? I have no idea. I have no idea. I am a dirtball. I do not completely, now you listen to me, and I study this with my life. I do not completely understand the mechanism that God uses for, for preserving his words. We want it to be, God told somebody what to write, they wrote it down, and when you were done, you had God's words. But you know that's not true. What do you do with Caiaphas saying, you know, it's just good that uh, one die for the nation? And he didn't even know he was speaking the words of God. Isn't that true? Did he say prophesied of Jesus' death and didn't know it? Or how about Paul when he said, now, when I'm writing to you, you know, it's inspired. But what I'm saying to you now, right now, this is me. This isn't the Lord. And God put it in the canon. So apparently when he thought he wasn't inspired, he was inspired. Guys, that's why I say the preservation of the words of God are amazing. In fact, they're more than amazing. They're miraculous. They're supernatural. They go beyond anything that any man could ever do. Take a look at Acts chapter 17. This depresses me. After what I said last night about poetry, look at verse 27. Here's Paul speaking. He's, uh, he's uh, on Mars Hill, and he said that they should seek the Lord if haply uh, they might uh, feel after him. Uh, and find him, though he uh, be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, quote, for we are all his offspring. Well, who said that? 
And you think that's the only thing they said. Said poets, so this, don't poets write more than one poem? So whoever wrote this, this one of these Martian poets, I don't mean that in a funny way. They're, if they're from Mars, they're from Martian. <laughs> Probably where the Democratic Party started. Anyway, um, somebody, when they're writing down poetry, they wrote, for we are also his offspring. So was it inspired when they wrote those words? Or was it inspired when Paul quoted it? Or was it inspired when Luke penned those words into the canon? I'm going to tell you this. You're going to, you're going to, let me tell you, I like simplicity. You like simplicity? This is why. I'm going to tell you something now. If this country goes down into some kind of a civil war and it's guns, guns, guns and shooting, shooting, shooting. If I am ever downtown and I have a weapon and I have one bullet and right in front of me is a BLM, uh, Antifa, Stark Raven, raging communist who's setting fire to a building. And right next to him is the guy that updates my phone. The commie gets a pass every time. You say, why? You men who work. If you have a process that takes one, two, three, four steps, and somebody says, I took this and made it this, isn't that your friend? When somebody makes something easier, isn't that your friend? Every time they update my computer or my phone, something that took this takes this. And I want to give them this, all right? It's, they just make it harder. Guys, you have the Proverbs, uh, or you had the Proverbs of the Ancients, now you got, you got a poet. When did, it, when did it become inspired? So I'm going to boil this down to really simplistic. You, want to know what, you know what my theory of inspiration is? Does some of you remember maybe 20 or 30 years ago, there was ragu spaghetti sauce? And the guy go, well, I want garlic and I want onions and I want that. And the guy goes, and every time the guy say, well, I want my spaghetti sauce to have garlic, it's in there. Well, I want it to have uh, uh, onions, it's in there. Well, I want it to have, uh, you know, fresh young tomatoes, it's in there. And the guy kept, no matter what he wanted, so don't worry, it's in there. So that's why you bought ragu spaghetti sauce. That's, how, that's my definition of, of inspiration. Say, so how do you know it's inspired? It's in there. That's it. That's how I know nothing those poets wrote was inspired except those words right there. That's how I know nothing the Proverbs of the ancient said was inspired but what David put in that book. I can't define inspiration. You can't. I don't care what you say. You cannot define inspiration that covers every, every word in this book. You can give me the quotes where God said, say this, and they said, see, see. Well, that's easy stuff. Five-year-olds can do that. You can't define that. The only thing I know is how you know it was inspired. Which is why I'm not letting anybody add to it. Because I don't believe that God inspired them to add to it. What about, uh, look at Second Chronicles chapter 25. Second Chronicles chapter 25. And I call these the lost words of the Old Testament. Except they're not lost because they're in the Old Testament. <laughs> Look what it says, verse 4. But he slew not their children, but did as is written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded him, saying, The fathers shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. Well, go have yourself a time. Go, go type that into your computer Bible program, because I can't find it. The only place I can find that in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses... Is right there. 
say, well, did it fall out? All I'm telling you is, here's what I'm telling you. Every word in this book is inspired. Every word in this book is the preserved word and words of God, okay? Nothing more. I don't need one more word. I don't need one less word. You want the easiest job in the world? Everybody likes an easy job. Let me give you an easy job. This is the easiest job in the world. See, I don't believe, I, I, I may believe different than you. I don't believe that when they sit down to, to translate a new version, I don't believe that the devil is necessarily in the room. Why would you say that? All he's got to do is get him to sit down and try it. Think about this. You know what the easiest job in the world is? Take that book right there and change one word. And you just made perfect imperfect. Change any word. Nobody has to tell you which word. Change any word. You, didn't you just make perfect imperfect? I think the devil is in the plans to bring out the new translation. He didn't have to be in the room where the guys are doing it because they can mess it up themselves. I talked to a man, believe it or not. He was a secretary for the translation of the NIV. He didn't do any translation work. And you know what they said? He said, I heard them say, when they brought out the, they, they did the first translation of the NIV, they said, we haven't changed enough words. We have to change 800 words to get our own copyright. Go back and change more words. Now, how's that for inspired of God? How's that for making, making the word easier for you to read? It's all commercial, guys. Let's take a break. Let's have a word of prayer. Take a break. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for our salvation. It is free and complete. Thank you, God, for this book. It is complete and flawless. God, bless these people. Now, you already blessed them with giving a perfect book, but bless them as they read your words, every one of them, God, because you never did anything in vain. If you put one word in the Bible not to be read, you put it there in vain. So that means you want us to read every word of your book. Bless these people. Somebody doesn't want to read it. Somebody, they think it's too daunting of a task. God, help these people to read your words and bless them as they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a break.